Good morning, Outlook family. Sure is good to see everyone this morning, whether you're here with me in the room or you're with us online. I'm just glad we're together. Amen. And wasn't it a great time of worship this morning? Chance to just uh, glorify God's name and do that together. That's a very uh, big blessing uh, every Sunday morning, isn't it? It really is. I'm glad we get to do that together. Well, I'm looking forward to jumping into God's Word. We are in the middle of a series in which we've been looking at these eight opening blessings of Jesus as He starts one of His most foundational teachings, what we've come to call His Sermon on the Mount. So each Sunday in the last, these last few weeks, we've been looking at each of these eight blessings, these proclamations that He gives. Now, if you recall, uh, these have come to be named the Beatitudes. If you grew up in church, you might have heard that, and you might wonder, what, what is that all about? We've talked about how that comes from the fact that they all start with the exact same word, and in the Latin, that word is beatus, and it means blessed, happy, hopeful, joyful. Doesn't that sound good? Who wouldn't want to be all those things, right? And this reminds us that God wants good things for us. Sometimes it can be easy to lose track of that very foundational truth. God wants good things for us, but it also reminds us of the second, uh, a second thought, and that is this. He gets to define what's good, right? I don't get to define that. You know, I may have a whole list of good things that I'd love uh, to have, but he defines for me what's good. He knows best, and that's exactly what Jesus is doing in each of these eight statements. He is defining for us what a truly good and blessed life looks like, a whole and healthy, God-filled life. And so, here, to read to us the sixth beatitude from various biblical translations is Sarah Edinger, a freshman at Mount Vernon High School, and, I just learned, uh, one, a member of the state championship dance team from Mount Vernon. So congratulations, Sarah, on that. Thank you very much. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed, anticipating God's presence, spiritual manner, are the pure in heart. Those with integrity, moral courage, and godly character, for they will see God. Happy are the utterly sincere, for they will see God. You're blessed when you see your inside world, your mind and heart put right, then you can see God in the outside world. Those who have a pure heart are happy because they will see God. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God makes happy those who have clean hearts. They will see God. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. Good job. Appreciate that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. All right, let's just go ahead and call this out right here from the start. Pure in heart? Forget it, right? That's not me. I'm out. We kind of like, Rob, I was tracking with these so far, but on this one, I guess, I guess I'm done. Pure in heart. I'll never be that. I don't know what that, how I could ever achieve that. Am I the only one that feels that way? I thought I might get a little more response from that. Maybe, maybe you all got this nailed. I don't know. Okay. Here's what we need to know, though, as we encounter the Scriptures in all kinds of different ways, and certainly in this moment right here, and we can't afford to forget it. God doesn't tease or trick us. He doesn't promote or promise something that He also won't 
provide. And so while at first blush, we might hear this and go, whoa, 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 I don't know if I could ever, I can't even begin to wrap my head around that. It seems inaccessible or unachievable on both counts. Purity of heart and seeing God. It kind of sounds like we're in the stratosphere of spirituality at this point. But let's, let's come back down and spend some time in this passage and realize that Jesus is referring to something here that can be true for you and me today. It can become increasingly true as we follow Him and will ultimately be true one day in eternity. This is a, a dynamic that is threaded throughout the Christian life. There's the real in our day-to-day, there's the ideal we're called to, and then there's even the ultimate that we'll experience in eternity. But there's something true about all three, and we can't just think, oh, it's all about pie in the sky someday, maybe, kinda. But that it actually does is something that, by the Holy Spirit, we experience today, we grow toward that ideal every day, and in this case, we will one day see God in a more ultimate way as well. But we can't think that it's only for later. It's also for now. It can be experienced. These things coexist in the Christian life. And this has been part of what the people of God have been called to and have longed for since the beginning. Consider Psalm 24. It asks, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? In other words, who may draw near to God? This is the cry of every human heart, whether we always realize it or not. And that is to draw near the one who made us, who knows us, and who loves us. Who may do that, it says. Here's the answer. And it's remained unchanged across the ages. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. What does that mean? Who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Now, of course, the good news of the gospel is that clean hands and a pure heart aren't up to me. They're provided to me by the grace of Jesus. Amen? See, God does not mock us. He does not, uh, uh, he does not promise something that He also won't provide. He can and will cleanse us the moment we repent. The second we pray and turn, we'll find Him right there, ready to receive us. He's not playing hide-and-seek with us. He wants a relationship with us. He is holy. And there's something about our sin that separates us from him that has to be dealt with, but he wants more than anything to see that bridge, that gap bridged and to see that relationship flourish. And so we can pray back to the Psalms for just a moment, as the psalmist did in Psalm 51, King David, when he said, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit. Within me. We're going to see in a moment that a pure heart and a steadfast spirit are the Bible's way of saying the same thing. Those things actually go together. Now, as disciples of Jesus, when we hear him describe these things we've been spending the last few weeks hearing him describe being poor in spirit, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, being merciful, or even today, pure in heart, as his disciples, we trust our teacher. And so we hear him say that, and something in us says, yes. That's what I want to be. Jesus, you're laying out something here that you said is a truly whole, healthy, blessed life. I believe you. I trust you. So I want to follow you in that. I say yes to that, right? I want to be those things. And so we got to go ahead and trust him when he says this as well. Blessed are the pure in heart. So let's begin by wrapping our heads around this word pure. 
Now, let's not think Puritan or Puritanical. That won't be helpful to us. Let's instead think purified and purifying. Purity, as Jesus puts it here, can't mean sinlessness in our behavior. Because the Scriptures make it clear we'll never experience that completely in our earthly lives. And who can testify that that's true? Yeah, thank you. Okay, I'm not alone. Yeah, absolutely. So we know uh, that that can't mean this. That there must be something more. Now, on top of that, in Jesus' day, purity had come to just now be defined externally. Ceremonially pure. Uh, have you filled, you know, filled the right requirements? Have you kept all the rules so you can go into the temple and stuff like that? That it, it, was, it became purely an external religious thing. The heart, the character, did not really enter into it. And if you read the rest of the stories of Jesus in the scriptures, he spent no small amount of time and energy trying to reverse this way of thinking. Even in this very sermon, he's constantly bringing our heart and character back into the equation. And he does it right here in those two words, in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. We've got to go inside. Jesus knows this about us. And we uh, need to not avoid that. When we ignore the reality of what's going on inside us, something, a, a reality, so, uh, by the way, that God sees clearly and cares about deeply. When we ignore that, we're ignoring where God does his work. And so Jesus is pushing us toward purity in heart. Heart, when the Bible uses it, always means the center of who we are, means the seat of our decisions and our actions, our character. Heart means the whole of our personality. So Jesus is saying something here about who we are, not just what we do on the outside. He's pushing us, prodding us, pointing us toward being pure from the inside out. Now, in the Greek, this word for pure uh, is from where we get our English word catharsis. In fact, there's actually a Greek word. It's just a transliteration. It's catharsis. And we all know what catharsis means. Catharsis means to purge, right? To get it out, to be relieved of it, to get rid of it, or to unload it. Sometimes if we're feeling stressed and we need to rant to a friend, we will say that that felt cathartic, right? Because what we're saying is, man, I'm glad to get that out of my system. Anyone have stuff in your system that you need to get out, right? We all do, right? We all have what the Bible calls sin embedded in our system that we got to get the Holy Spirit's help to work it out. And that is the purification that Jesus is talking about. So when you look at this word in, throughout the scriptures, there's two main ways that it's used. And so we're going to unpack those here. The two main ways that pure in heart is described in the scriptures is I would, I would put it down like this. It means to be clean without stain or pollution, and it means to be clear without division. So let's spend some time with that. What, we're going to answer what does it mean to be pure in heart, and we're going to look at how does this mean that we will see God. So as we begin this, I want to emphasize a practice that I, I just can't, I can't stress too, too much when it comes to interacting with the scriptures. Um, 
I hope here at Outlook that you start to feel more and more comfortable with the scriptures, that you don't feel intimidated by them. If you don't own an easy-to-read copy of the Bible, we have a card in the commons. You can pick one of those up and make it yours anytime that you're here. But I hope that you begin to see that the scriptures are something accessible to you. You don't have to feel intimidated by them and that you begin to read them for, for yourself. And if you ever want to sit down and talk about something you're reading, we're always here to do that. We would love that, in fact. So as you interact with the Bible, I want to emphasize a, a, a practice that I've always found helpful. And that is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Which is why I'll sometimes refer to a few different passages in a single sermon. Today, in the last few weeks, we've been looking at these single sentences that Jesus said at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount. But as you look at that sentence, then you begin, well, what does that mean? And then what, what, what could he mean by that? It, it, it begs the, the question, where else does the Bible talk about this? And so how can we, we define terms and we understand what Jesus would have meant and we get the context by looking at where the Bible addresses that same subject from different voices or from different angles. And I cannot emphasize that enough. You aren't here to learn the word of Rob, right? But to hear and learn the word of God. And so when we dive into the scriptures, our hope here at Outlook is that this is just a good, well-rounded, healthy meal to nourish our soul, a balanced diet of scriptures that help plant the truth in us. Amen? So, pure in heart, let's begin, means clean, or really more accurately, cleansed. I can't get clean on my own. Uh, ultimately, I'm only cleansed by turning to the one who can cleanse me, and his name is Jesus. He who said in John 15 to his disciples, you're already clean, same word in the Greek as the word pure, you're already clean or pure because of the word I've spoken to you. This tells me that the truth of Jesus, the good word of the one who loves us and gave himself up for us, is a purifying agent in our lives. You are clean, Jesus essentially says, before God, because I have said so. We believe his good word, and that sets us on the path toward that cleansing. That path always leads us to the cross. In 1 John chapter 1, it says, If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us, there's that word, from all sin. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the fact that as I come to Jesus, I begin to realize that my sin, and when the Bible uses the word sin, we're not just talking about a list of behaviors we learned in Sunday school that we're all supposed to avoid. We're talking about something much deeper, right? In the heart. We're talking about the pride of my own life that would say that I can go one hour, one day, one week, one month, and not give God my attention. Think that I can do this on my own. That's the root of sin. That kind of human pride that says, I got this, right? I'm, I'm good on my own. That is sin. And that sin, then, when you describe it that way, it's natural. That separates me from God. It also, if I'm separated from God, it means I'm headed toward spiritual death. God is the giver of life. And so I'm headed to death. I deserve death. I'm, I've rejected the giver of life, even in the smallest of ways. That's the human condition. Jesus dies on the cross, a death he didn't deserve. He dies my death. And as I place my faith in him, the one who has conquered death and walked out of his own grave, the Bible says, then I receive his grace. I put my faith in him 
I understand what my, what my sin has done, how it has separated me from God, what God had to do to restore that relationship with me. He wants me on that mountain. He wants us in that holy place. He gives us the clean hands and the pure heart that we need. That is what Jesus has done. And so it's only then that then the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin, meaning it covers our sin. doesn't mean now I don't ever sin, although I will say, you know, the more you walk with Jesus, you can look in the rearview mirror and realize there are all kinds of sins and, and behaviors and patterns and thoughts and all kinds of stuff that have started to fall away. I hope you sin less this year than you did last year. Doesn't that kind of make sense, right? As you walk with Jesus, he's making you more whole, more healthy. But not in some kind of weird, self-righteous way, but in a really good and healthy way. But you'll never be sinless, even if you do sin less and less. But when this says purifies us from all sin... It means we're now completely covered by the blood of Jesus, and we can have that relationship that we need with God and that he wants so desperately to have with us. That's, when, that's the cleansing we're talking about. Another word can be refined. We are then, as we're cleansed, we are refined or purged of everything that is not the thing we're meant to be. That's where you might think about like pure gold, so to speak. Pure gold means there's nothing here but the gold itself right? No other alloy, no other pollutant, no other anything is in there. That, that gold has been rarefied and refined and purified, and now it's pure gold. That's another sense of this idea of what the Holy Spirit does in us. And that really takes us to the second half of the word, and that is pure in heart also means clear. It also means clear. Clarity of mind and singleness of motive. This aspect of pure speaks to us being without mixture, that we're sincere in our integrity, that we lack duplicity, that we have loyalty and fidelity and genuineness of purpose and transparent honesty. That kind of purity is also spoken about in terms of this original term. Purity of heart is to will one thing, and that is God's will with everything that we are. Not my will, Jesus once prayed, but your will be done. It means to be single-minded, with an undivided heart, or you might say single-hearted. I like that term quite a bit. It's not God and the world pulling me in two different directions. It's not God and money. It's not God and my success. It's not God and other people who might uh, be an influence on me that's not healthy or that distract me in some way. It's God first, everything else next, right? That's the kind of undivided heart that we're constantly being called to. It's a great way to live, right? an undivided, single-minded soul. James, in his uh, letter in chapter 4, again, echoes uh, much of what Jesus says in different places in the Beatitudes. And at one point, James says this, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Right? We know James is a blunt guy, right? He just lays it right out there. And you can't help but wonder if he's got Psalm 24 on his mind that we read earlier. Come near to God, up on the mountain, Come near to God in His holy place. He will come near to you. Wash your hands, because what did we read? You need clean hands and a pure heart. Wash your hands, you sinners, and do what? Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now here James is really touching on this other aspect of what it means to, be, to have a pure heart, and that is to be single-minded. Double-mindedness is a spiritual ailment, as the Scriptures describe it. And we've all been there, sometimes on any given day, right? Like a compass with two 
poles, if, that's, if that were possible. Picture a compass's needle, trying to go from one pole to the other and then back again and back and forth because two things in our lives have been kind of made God for us, whatever that might be for you or for me. One has elevated itself to the, to the point that it's now become a rival to our devotion to God. And then we feel like that compass needle spinning out of control and pretty useless to navigate life. Anyone ever been there? Absolutely. What Jesus is calling us to is alignment. To be flowing with God, our thoughts, patterned after his thoughts as best as we know how. And this isn't found by some guru on a mountaintop. It's found by God's good word, heard and believed and learned among his people. Very simply, like we're doing today. That kind of alignment, that kind of single-mindedness that puts our priorities where they should be is always a good and healthy thing. That's the kind of purifying that ultimately we're called to. You're blessed, we read, Sarah read for us in one of the paraphrases, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart, put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. We can get mixed up, right? Any of us can have a day or a week or a month where we get pretty mixed up. Blessed are those whose thoughts and motives, Jesus says, are unmixed, singular. He's not talking about sinlessness of behavior, but singleness of intention. We receive his cleansing, and then it clears our minds and clears our hearts. Clear and clean, then, we begin to walk forward and discover we get to see God. That takes us to our second part here. This is what it means to be pure in heart. How does this mean that we see God? Let me show you a photo. This is me in my first pair of glasses. Apparently, I was going to pursue a hobby in welding because I think I'm going to be pretty protected there by those muggers. I mean, those are pretty serious. I remember what it was like the first time I put on a pair of glasses. I had no idea that my vision had had slipped into something that needed glasses. You put those glasses on and suddenly you, re- suddenly you realize that trees have leaves uh, from any distance, right? Uh, that there are birds that fly in the air and that they don't just land in front of you and then you can see them. I, I remember just realizing that you could see the expression on someone's face from some distance, not only when they got near to you. It just opened up a whole new world. Some of you wear glasses or contacts, know exactly what I'm talking about. That day when you first put them on. And this is what the Holy Spirit does in a very real way as we say yes to Jesus. We begin to see things more clearly, things we might not have ever noticed or seen before. We begin to realize that there are things that can be seen. And then we begin to look for them. And a whole new life opens up. We can begin to, as amazing or or far-fetched as it could sound, we begin to see God. Why? Because we begin to seek God. We draw near to Him in worship, and in fact, we're drawn to do so. We want to. We begin making Him our first priority, our most important reality. Once you begin to see, then you just want to keep seeing, right? You want to see more and more and more. We can get distracted, 
We can stop being single-hearted and single-minded. Without a doubt, all of us can find ourselves double-minded and distressed and distracted. And Jesus gave this directive to us when we're worried and consumed about all kinds of things. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Reset your compass. Know where your pole is and your north star. Know what's first and let everything else follow from there. That's our choice. We seek. We've been given eyes now to see. Then we choose to use them and seek things the right way and in the right priority. God doesn't dangle gifts we can't receive or virtues we can't achieve. Blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus is not saying that's impossible for you and me. In fact, he's laying out something whole and healthy and good and right, and he says, by my spirit, it is possible to be single-minded and make me your first priority. He's constantly calling us to this. You and me, every day, every day we wake up, right, we're finding our own focus once again. I don't know about you, but I need to do that every day. Finding my focus, or sometimes not, if we're honest, right? And we know how those days can go. But when I find my focus, then I begin to cultivate a desire to please God and to live for God above all else. I'm seeking first His kingdom. And when you focus, that's when you begin to see, right? We see God. We stand before Him. We seek Him with all our life, all our earthly days. We make Him the focal point. And then when we pass from this earthly life, we will truly, fully see Him for real. Paul put it like this to the Corinthians. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Right? Now, that only makes sense in the Bible. That doesn't make, I'm going to fix my eyes on what is unseen. How does that work? I must have new eyes. I must be able to see now in new ways, not just with my physical eyes, but that there's a whole other reality that I can begin to fix the eyes of my soul, my heart on. Since what is seen is temporary, he writes, but what is unseen is eternal. That there is an unseen, so to speak, eternal world that now through eyes of faith becomes visible to us. I really like this. God, fix my eyes, right? We fix our eyes. In both senses of the term, like fix my eyes like they needed fixed with those glasses or those contacts. God, my eyes are broken. I don't see that well. I need you to fix my sight. But God, also help me fix my eyes as in set them on what is most important. I need your help with that. So much of the Christian life comes down to this, finding and keeping our focus, fixing our eyes. Most of you know my story because I end up sharing it every now and then. But, you know, when I was 18, even though I grew up in church, it was only then that I was convicted one night in a youth group setting and fully, truly dedicated my life to seeking God. And I haven't looked back since. And I have to say that from that time, that night when I was 18, I just keep finding him. And I would encourage you, no matter your age, it is never too early to begin to seek God to begin to ask Him to fix your eyes so that you may see Him more and more. You begin to seek Him, believe me, He will be found. Seek, and you will find He repeatedly promises us. And I get, I get to keep seeing Him. I see Him in His Word. I see Him working in my own life. I see Him in His church. I see Him in so many of you. 
Hebrews 12, Lynette quoted a portion of it earlier. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. This tells me that when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, he's not talking about something I can't do. Because again, elsewhere in the scriptures, I'm told to see that which would otherwise seem invisible. Fix my eyes on Jesus. I can do that apparently, and so can you. That is possible for us. We're exhorted to do exactly that, to set our sights on Him, who He is, His Word, His Spirit living within us. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Some of you, uh, like, like all of us, the last couple years have been pretty rough. And while I'm talking right now to people who have made it to church here in this room, I'm also talking to folks who are with us online. And whether you're with me here or you're online, I know that for so many, because I get, I get to talk to you, that it's been a disorienting couple of years. And it can be easy to start to slide off that course or to kind of pull back. There's been so much going on and you get discouraged. And pretty soon, you're, we're not seeking first God's kingdom. If you're with us online, you're in your PJs perhaps, right? Uh, and, and what used to be uh, the minimum, right? I'm sick or I can't make it or there's some precautions that need to be taken. I'm going to watch, watch church from home. What used to be your minimum has now become your maximum. And now watching, watching church, instead of being in church or being with the brothers and sisters that make up your church, has become your max. That the best you're doing is the couch, the PJs, and watching the service. There's no condemnation, I hope, in what I'm, what I'm saying here. But I also just want to call the process and say, we'd love to see you back here at church in person. That there's something to be said for going ahead and taking that step, perhaps one that you miss if you stop and think about it, but it's just been so easy, right, to kind of drift and sit back. And we love meeting the people we meet online, and we love the fact that we, we do meet a lot of people that way, and then they end up coming to church, and online is, is, is a very useful and wonderful tool. But don't make it your max. Make it maybe your minimum. Make it your backup for what it's intended for. But it's been a rough couple of years, and it can be easy to find yourself sliding back, getting comfortable. And I just want to say today, we love you, we're here for you, and that there is something here about being singleness of heart and pure in that way, and a purification that just can't happen only when we're comfortable. We've got to stretch ourselves, amen? Refinement, purification, that doesn't sound terribly comfortable to me, but it sure sounds healthy. And if I stop and I'm honest with myself, I sure need it. We all, we're all in that together. So I just want to say that word, whatever might have thrown you off. And it might have nothing to do with online church or, or the last couple of years. It might have everything to do with some other things that have happened in your life. And that you've just been caused, caused you to ask yourself, man, what do I do next? Or, or what's really going on? Or how do I even feel about my faith? Or maybe you've been deconstructing or all kinds of stuff that's been going on. Let me just say, we're here for you. And that there's good things ahead if you will begin to seek first again with all your heart who God is. Amen? 
Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's throw off the things that entangle us. Dueling loyalties will make us spiritually cross-eyed, right? But we can see God by the power of His Spirit, just the way putting on those corrective lenses can help us all. And here's one thing I found. When I stop hiding, God is less hidden to me. If God seems far from you, or you think, where is God, or I I don't see God, Rob, you're talking about seeing God, I don't know how to see God, or even begin to seek God, chances are good, if you're like me, I've been hiding from God. Maybe I've been creating some distance, because if I stop and think about it, He's not moved. Maybe there's something going on in me or around me that has caused me to pull back and hide from Him, and I find that when I stop hiding, God's not hidden from me. I see him as I seek him in total honesty and integrity, just standing transparently before God. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And that is our prayer for us all. C.S. Lewis put it like this, Blessed and fortunate creature, your eyes shall behold him and not another's. All that you are, sins apart, is destined if you will let God have his good way, to utter satisfaction, right? In the Beatitudes, Jesus calls that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God and being blessed, utter satisfaction. And then Lewis says this, it is safe to tell the pure in heart that they shall see God, for only the pure in heart want to. And that's what it comes down to, just wanting to. God will meet you in that want and give you what you're looking for. Friends, this is likely the most demanding, the most searching of all the Beatitudes. It drives us to self-awareness, to rigorously searching our hearts. It demands death to ourselves and new life in Christ. We read those words and we think only God could make that possible. But the good news is he makes it possible. Amen? One of the commentators I read paraphrased this beatitude like this. Those who live before God with single-minded devotion and a genuine spirit will, in the end, experience God's presence in the most intimate way. It's just a dynamic of what the life of faith looks like and how it works. Friends, let's not forget the basis of all of this. As Paul said to Timothy, the goal of this command is love. Someone say love. It's absolutely the basis of all the teachings of Jesus It comes from what? A pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Let's pray about that. Lord, we thank you for this teaching. It pushes us, no doubt, but it pushes us in a good direction and it pushes us deeper into ourselves to learn what you want to do in us. And there's nothing but good that will flow from that if we'll allow you to and give you the space to do your work. Lord, there is nothing we've read or heard here today that we could ever do without you. We confess that. In fact, we're glad about that. We want to do it with you. And we're happy, God, that you're the wind, your spirit is the wind at our back in this regard. And so, Lord, help us as we lean into you, as we seek what you're giving us here, your kingdom, your righteousness, and yes, your purity in single-minded devotion and in clean, and being cleansed before you that we could have a relationship with you. All we can do is say thank you and give us more. We're ready to receive. God, we give you our lives, our days, our weeks, uh, uh, and I, I pray your blessing and your guidance on every single person who's been listening. In Jesus' name, amen.